I'm Bianca, and I'm Gen Z. I'm Molly, a millennial. I am Arnisha, Generation X. And I'm Micah, the Boomer. We, we are, are Day Talk. Talk. Four women, four generations, and four unique points of view. Hi, listeners. This is Dame Molly. Today, we are continuing our Truth About series, focusing today on nonprofits. So through all of my career as a full-time worker, I have worked for nonprofit organizations, whether they are small, just starting out, large, old, um, local, global, national. Uh, I've had a, a broad range of experience at working and volunteering with nonprofit organizations. And so today I wanna to share some of the misperceptions that I've heard um, and that I know are out there and that I myself had before working for nonprofits, um, as well as some of the realities about uh, these types of organizations and open it up to the dames as well to share our experiences. So a few of the first things that I often hear are around um, the quote unquote non -sec nonprofit sector in general. So the first thing is that it's a monolith. Uh, we talk about the nonprofit sector as if it's all just one, one sector, one industry, um, in a way that we would never talk about for the for-profit sector. Um, we also talk about, or we hear frequently that there are maybe fewer types of jobs within within nonprofits. Maybe there aren't jobs at all. Maybe it's only volunteering. Nonprofit sector, of course, is very diverse. So yes, there are a lot of the kind of standard charity type work that we think of that cover a lot of basic needs, food, shelter, healthcare. That's the biggest part of the of what makes up the nonprofit sector. But there are also finance nonprofits, tech nonprofits, uh, media, some of the big industries around higher education, the arts, healthcare, museums, labor unions, professional services, those are all also usually nonprofits. Um, within nonprofit organizations, there are tons of different kinds of jobs. You have all of the same roles that you have at, a, at most for-profit companies. So you have people in HR, you have people in finance, uh, you have people in marketing and communications, um, but then you also have a whole other layer of roles that are specific to mission-driven organizations that focus on programs, on community outreach, on impact. And so you actually, I've always experienced that there's actually a lot more diversity within um, nonprofit organizations than there can be in some for-profit companies. Nonprofits are also a huge, pretty meaningful part of our economy as well in the US. So nonprofits employ between 12 and 15 million people. So about one out of 10 people are employed by nonprofits in the US. Um, and between 2007 and 2017, these nonprofit jobs actually grew by four times more than for-profit jobs in the same period. So they're pretty fast growing in the last decade. And all of these numbers are from before COVID. So what we know during COVID is that a lot of small organizations um, have really been struggling. So we'll see what this looks like once we come through and once we're really in the recovery stage. The vast majority of nonprofits are very small um, and grassroots organizations. So they have less than a million dollars in uh, annual budget a year. Um, but there are also some that have well over $5 billion in annual budget. So Dames, this is kind of, to me, these are some of the, the, uh, the call outs that I hear a lot when people are talking about nonprofits. Um, and just kind of when we think about the nonprofit space as being this kind of monolith or it's all small community organizations or the types of jobs that are within them. Curious what you all think if you thought any of that. I know some of you have experience with nonprofits. Kind of curious what you what you think about some of those ideas. That was very, very interesting. I mean, I think, um, well, I don't know if our listeners know, but I have my, I'm now working for a nonprofit organization and um, I would have never thought that the nonprofit sector, is that the right thing to call it? I, I'm still learning the terminology, frankly, that it that the growth was that significant. That it's it's fat that you said it was fast growing. I, did you say it grew four times? What what was this? Mm -hmm. That you I think you said four yeah. times. 
I would have one never thought that it, that that sector was growing as quickly, and I also would not have thought that there were as many people working in the nonprofit sector as what you just said. Um, and the third thing you said that fascinated me was not industries, the just the the um, breadth of industries that you find nonprofit organizations, you know, that was all very, very interesting to me because you're right. I tend, my first, you know, my first thought when I think of um, nonprofit is community-based or health, right? Or um, that's, that's where I start. You know, I would never think that there was a nonprofit financial organization, especially a nonprofit financial organization. <laughs> I just would never, um, I just, I just would never think that. So that was very interesting to me. I always, I mean, I've worked in the nonprofit sector. That is correct, Arnisha. Um, although I think you can, you can use any, a lot of terminology. Um, and for a number of years, and I think um, when you, Molly, your point around there is you know, those structural organizational roles that any for-profit has or needs to run their business, you're going to find it in a nonprofit. Um, what I debate against and, and struggle against when I talk to uh, younger individuals about going into the nonprofit space is if you have the ability to get corporate experience, could it benefit you um, getting, because there's potentially more money in training you, then there might be in a nonprofit. You know, that's why I say that. But then the challenge becomes nonprofits become very, can be very exclusive. And they look at people in the for-profit world as like, whoa, you don't understand how we operate. You don't understand our mission. I don't think you would fit here. I don't think it's a good fit here. So they become, mm. so it becomes very difficult when you go from for-profit to nonprofit. So um, I, I think that for-profits, one of the things that could help is if they became more open to people with different experiences outside of the nonprofit and recognize that somebody could really um, bring some, um, some good diversity of thought and diversity of experience to help them grow their business. That's a great point. Micah. Um, and actually another experience that I also would flip it and say that I've seen a lot at nonprofits, um, either that I've worked for or just others that I know of who um, frequently will disc kind of discount the own, their own expertise of their staff that they have on staff. Um, and instead, you know, we have to get a, an outside consultant to come in to tell us, to help us create this strategy. We have to get this, this um, hire this new VP who is the such and such head of whatever at this multinational corporation and they're automatically going to do this better than the people that we have on staff um, and so i've also seen that on the other side too is that some nonprofits will kind of put this expertise of of external um whether consultants or um for-profit expertise above their own expertise that they have on staff of people who have really dedicated their lives to these missions. So I see, I think that's really interesting that you brought that up because I see the, the flip side of it too. Well, I think Molly, that's just more people not trusting people because that happens in the for-profit yes. all the time, right? There's all time, that's why consultants make so much money because they convince people that your people don't know any better, but we can, <laughs> we can do it. And then they end up telling you the same thing that you're like, I was telling you this five years ago. So you just paid this person a million dollars to tell you what I've been telling you, what my team has been telling you. Like, I don't care where you are. It's this lack of trust in the people that have put their heart and soul into a company or a nonprofit. And, and the leadership still is like, yeah, I want to hear what somebody else has to say. Oh, that is so refreshing to hear that that happens everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I wish it happened nowhere. I wish it happened nowhere to be clear, but glad to hear that that's not a problem just for nonprofits. Yeah. Great. Uh, you know, there are two things that I, I kind of want to jump on with, with, with Micah said, then I want to go back to something else you said, Molly. Do you really think it's distrust or is it, or is it more you want an objective party to come in and tell you from their perspective? Do you think it's distrust or is it more an objective party that, that has done this not only for you, but has done this for 50 other companies? Is, is, is it, 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 I'm just saying it could be that. 
right? It could also be a matter of saying, okay, I know we've been talking about this for five years, but I want somebody that has this, has done this with 50 other companies. I want them to come and give us their point of view. I'm just asking, could yeah. that be it? I, I just feel like companies want to say because it came from somewhere else that 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 maybe more people will buy into it but okay. who knows your business better than the people working there and i think i read somewhere where like a lot of tech companies like apple and um they do this like they bring people from all areas together to help solve a problem right so they do that internally so maybe it's a matter of you creating your own consulting team from other departments internally. And I think people would actually buy into it more because it's internal people who you've been talking to and who know what's going on. But I think consultant, the consultancy business has just done a good job making organizations think they need that objective opinion. I don't, I, I don't know. I think they've I, done a good marketing job. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just asking, I'm asking a question. I, I worked oh, for a company yeah. where we brought in a consultant, um, a, a big consulting company. And <laughs> when it was, you make all the changes that they recommend, or at least some of them. And then since oftentimes those companies have not been on the operation side, they, there's not always the true understanding of what your recommendations mean or the implications of what your recommendations mean. So in the one instance where I worked for a company that brought in one of the big consulting firms, changes were made, and within like three years, we were backtracking. Because when you go to, when you go, the, the operations piece is so critical in the, from a recommendations perspective, it, it has to be something that makes sense for your business model. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if they always do, but I was just asking that question. The other thing I wanted to go back to was what Molly said um, about, well, I don't know, it might've been Micah, about just the exclusivity of the nonprofit space. I can tell you, it, I felt like it was a glass ceiling, a brick wall or whatever, because I've been wanting to get onto the nonprofit side for years, for years. And it's like, I just could not do it. I tried it at so many different companies and it, I was baffled by it because I felt like, okay, my experience completely aligns with what they're looking for. I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even get like a, a, an initial, an introductory interview. Like there was no progress. And in the instance where I was able to start to move forward, you know, up until now, where I was, I, I knew that I just wouldn't be the one chosen, <laughs> right? It's almost like, you know, that you're not going to be ultimately, no matter how well it's going in the back of your mind is always kind of like, I don't know, because if, if you know that if someone really understands your business model, that means that their learning curve is shorter and they can come in and they can impact your business faster. So, and I get that as a professional, I completely get that. Um, but to me, what's frustrating is, well, then don't interview people that are in, that are not in nonprofit space. <laughs> don't, just don't do it. Don't just say, clearly indicate in your spec that you're looking for people with nonprofit experience. So then that way, somebody who like myself, who had only had for profit experience, you don't pursue it because you're never going to be considered a contender. Never truly. But I can't, I lucked out. I made it. <laughs> I, I made it. I'm so happy because I've been trying for so long. But, you know, I, that when you said, you know, this exclusive, this exclusive club almost, I completely feel that way. I'm like, I know my experience is a fit. Why am I not, you know, why am I, one, not getting a callback? Why am I not even be considered? And why am I not being chosen? Like, I, my background makes, fits in with this. So I, I completely agree with that. I actually also, now that you mentioned that, what, like kind of have a question for you, Molly, since you've been in nonprofits for such a long time or anyone. Um, I, I have worked very little so far in, in the professional sphere, but my one of the internships that made the biggest impact on me was a summer with um, a nonprofit. And I remember discussing with supervisors and other people at the company, they really pushed like network within the company, like network as much as you possibly can, because if you can, like, you're going to have such an easier time 
if you ever want to come back to this organization by being like, hey, do you remember when I talked to you and I worked for this organization before? Like, it seemed like everyone was really pushing me to get my foot in the door with just knowing people in the company and knowing that I had a familiarity or not company, the organization. Um, so I, and I remember wondering why that was because they, and, and people did tell me, they're like, very honestly, it's hard to get uh, from just an out being outside of the organization. It's hard to get your foot in the door. It's hard to get hired here. They were saying specifically, especially for young people and people who didn't have, um, you know, 10 years of industry experience. They were like, it's, it's, we have very, very few entry-level jobs, which I feel like kind of spills over into like, we have very few ways to enter this organization as well. So I wonder why that is, why it seems to be like such a almost culty <laughs> situation. I don't yeah. know if you have any idea. I do want to say I have to maybe defend nonprofits here a little bit, uh, only because, of course, <laughs> <laughs> only because I think this is where we get trapped in this, this idea of the, um, of like thinking of the nonprofit space as one, one big thing, one, ex one monolithic entity. Right. And so I think, so, so Arnisha, I want to, what you said originally about like trying to get in and spending so long trying to get into the nonprofit world. Um, I think this is a, this is a challenge on people who are in the nonprofit space and who always have been, who, you know, I think do have kind of maybe a sense of superiority or whatever it might be of trying to, you know, while we only want people who are mission driven and who have proven that right quote in quotes, um, which I think is a huge miss because I think if we, rather than thinking of, uh, for nonprofit, especially like HR teams, um, and recruiters, if we start thinking more less about nonprofit versus for-profit and more on the skills, like we need somebody who's really great at marketing, who's really great at understanding our audience, putting things together, helping us figure out what our strategy is to reach more millennials, to reach more boomers, like whatever it might be. And so focusing more, we need somebody who's a really great financial analyst, like regardless of where they've had that experience. I think that's a way that just in the nonprofit and it's hard to talk about nonprofits without saying things like the nonprofit sector, but with those types of organizations, like that's a way that we need to be actively changing our mindset, um, which I would say on, on the other side would also be people who are for-profit companies looking at people who then have nonprofit experience and potentially looking down on them um, because that's maybe not as, it's not as competitive, it's not as fast paced, it's not, you know, all these other misperceptions that come up. So. I think that's on both sides of like, we need to just maybe think about more the different kinds of skills and jobs versus nonprofit and for-profit. Um, and then like for this, this idea of like networking within an organization, especially large organizations and trying to, to kind of get the in, uh, I have a hard time because I think um, my, last two my last two roles I got through applying online, which is like the way that they tell you not to focus on job applications. And it just happened to luck out that like I, that happened to work for me. I'm a terrible networker. I've talked about it on other episodes. It's one of the things I'm trying to improve on. Um, and so I've, I've had really lucky opportunities that I was in the right place at the right time. Um, and so I think, I think, again, I think it depends on what kind of organizations you're looking at. Um, I know a lot of nonprofits that have almost exclusively entry-level jobs, and it makes it very difficult to actually get anywhere senior at that nonprofit, right? And then I know a lot of others, to your point, that actually only have a few or maybe use interns or volunteers for what should be a job role, um, which is a whole other issue. And so I think maybe one way to look at it would be uh, what type, if you're looking at specific organizations, what type of an organization is that? Is it an organization that's growing really quickly? Um, and there are a whole bunch of reasons why they might be growing. They've gotten increase in donations, their mission has expanded, they've merged, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so if they're more likely to grow quickly as an organization, they're more likely to have more of those job openings. Um, if it's a, I don't wanna necessarily say it has to be an older organization, 
but if it's maybe an older organization, maybe it's more stagnant, um, then I think that's where you fall into that space of like, you're going to have people who are more, feel more exclusive, feel more like it's a club, um, feel more like it's a cult, <laughs> to use your word, Bianca, um, of who they want to let in. And so like, I think that like, it's just, and it's hard to, and I don't know, I feel like those are probably the same things to be said for a lot of different types of for-profit companies too, whether you're looking at a startup versus one of the old heritage brands or whatever it might be. Right. And when I think about it, I, I, from the flip side of even what I was saying, I can see some benefits to trying to look at people within your company as a, you know, moving up and, and sort of keeping things within the family a little bit, because, um, if an, if, as Arnisha pointed out earlier, you fit, sort of think of a lot of nonprofit organizations as very different from each other and specific to the community that they're serving, which is what you hear about as being ideal, right? So if it's a small community organization that, um, you know, is, it, it's usually better to have someone who understands the way the nonprofit works and the way that the specific community works. So that might be why things seem to get really insular, you know, you're, it's, it's kind of a good thing if you are sort of pulling from people who already know the situation and the, the type of stuff that you're working on, I guess would make sense to me. Uh, totally. I think, well, two things came to mind when I was listening to you all talk. One is that like any other job or, or sector, you do your research, right? You, you understand, you know, kind of where your passions lie and wh what organizations match that. Then you go deeper into what's the culture, who are some of the people that are in it, what are their backgrounds? You know, it's the same type of research. I think some one of, you know, the truths about or whatever, you know, nonprofits is people think, oh, it's a mission driven, you know, must be a great organization, you know, but you just still have to do your research. And one of the other things is when Molly was talking about the fact that one in 10 people work for nonprofits and that, you know, there, it is a growing sector. I also feel like there's so many nonprofits doing the same thing and they're all kind of relatively small that if they would merge together, they could make more impact, but they don't, there's a whole host of reasons why they won't do it. Um, but I think it's so easy to create a nonprofit and people do that without thinking of like, here, I have a pot of money. Do I really need to create my own nonprofit or can I use that pot of money to make the same impact in a, you know, another organization that's already established so I don't have to create, establish anything and, and then, you know, work with, and partner with them on that. So that's something that I've always said about nonprofits. They really need to do a, a whole merging situation. Um, so. Or at least a coalition maybe now that you're mentioning, because because like, it is good when you're a community-based organization to be really focused on one place. But I kind of, I see your point to that. If you are a, are a organization in Maryland and there's seven other, in Baltimore, and there's seven other community health organizations in Baltimore that you're, you know, sort of bumping up against, but not working with, I can see why that might be helpful <laughs> just for resources yeah. and information and stuff. Yeah. It's a great point and it's something that I think I've um, talked a lot about with a lot of different people, coworkers over the years. I think the other thing to think about though too is we think about nonprofits all doing, that there are a lot that do the same thing. Well, there are a lot of companies that sell the same product. It's just slightly different. So, and, and it's so in their- I'm sorry? And they do end up, they end up being- Sometimes they do, not all the time, yeah. you know? And so I think there's there's also something to be said for um, you know, different nonprofit organizations are often, uh, driven by a theory of change. So it's their, um, their theory, their approach on how they're going to achieve their change in the world that they're seeking. Um, and so I think you might have a lot of organizations that have a similar outcome that they're trying to reach. So in a community health sense, they're trying to help the community become a healthier place, right? Through, better nutrition, maybe through better, you know, healthcare services. Um, and so they might have the same ultimate vision um, or similar vision or mission, but they might have a very different way of going about it. 
And so a lot of times if that theory of change is different, those organizations don't necessarily want to merge because maybe they think that their way of doing it is, is better. Um, they have evidence for that or they've got programming already in place or whatever it might be. And so I think it's on the outside and I've definitely said this myself that like, yeah, why don't these organizations just all merge together? They would do better at it. But if it's something that's a really difficult social or environmental challenge, we might not know what the quote unquote right way or best way is to solve that. If we did, things like poverty would be solved, right? Well, there's a lot of policy issues there and we can we can get into that. Nonprofits don't work in a, in a silo, but, um, but if, if these were easy to solve challenges, they would have been solved already. And so I think part of it too is thinking of, um, do, is, is having different nonprofits that uh, maybe have similar missions, similar visions, but go about it different ways. Is that leading to more innovation? Is that maybe reaching more people? Are we being able to like actually test and see what works better than maybe other, other cases? So I do agree with that in spirit. And sometimes it's very, like, very clear that a couple of nonprofits are doing the same thing. They just need to merge together. But in other spaces, it could be that it's actually helping us learn more about how we actually solve those, those societal issues. It's not, a, it can't be a blanket statement. Like, right, all, totally. I agree with you. Not all nonprofits need to merge, but I just think some, some, some need to be looked at more closely and there is definitely alignment that can happen. Yep. And this brings into a couple more that we've talked about that have come up through the conversation, a couple more misperceptions. So one of them is that a nonprofit, because it's mission-driven, because it's purpose-driven, it's automatically a trustworthy, um, ethical, well-run organization, right? Of course, we know that that's not true. Like we see that in different stories that come out about nonprofit funds being mismanaged, about um, you know nonprofit clients not being treated well. Um, and so just like you would research any, like if you're thinking about where you might want to, to work or to give a donation um, or to volunteer for, just like any company, any product, any service that you're, you know, going to consider purchasing or participating in, you want to do research um, to see what the organization is all about. Um, how are they actually showing up in the community? Are there any things that even if you just talk amongst your peers, do you, does anyone have stories that are just maybe more anecdotal and maybe those are not always fair, right? Everyone has a different experience with every organization, but it can start leading you to, to really doing that research and, and digging in. Um, and so Micah, just like you said, if you're looking for a job at a nonprofit, I think a lot of people get, are so committed to that, to that mission, you know, or that's their passion. So of course they're gonna love the job. It's gonna be the perfect dream job, but like, what's the culture like? What's leadership like? What are the, the other important parts of working? Because we know that burnout is particularly high among nonprofit workers because so many people go and work for an organization uh, because they're committed to the mission and they don't necessarily ask all those other things um, about culture, about leadership, work-life balance, um, and are sometimes expected to just work 24 seven because we're all in it for the mission. Um, and so there are different aspects of like learning about those organizations just because it's a nonprofit, just because it's mission driven, doesn't mean that it's going to be all rainbows and, and sunshine. <laughs> um, and I would say another thing that that um, was brought up too when we think about leadership is that leadership at nonprofits can sometimes have a uh, perhaps a more uh, stronger ego, we'll say, maybe a little bit of a God com complex, um, because look at what they are sacrificing um, to have started this nonprofit or to be the CEO of this nonprofit, the executive director, you know, they're giving their time, they're giving their passion, they're giving their love. Um, and so aren't they so great? And so part of that, I think, can, can come to life through some of the exclusivity that, that we've already talked about um, and can also come through through uh, maybe a negative work culture or a negative environment because that person is so dedicated. They expect everyone else to be just as ded dedicated um, and kind of put everything else aside. And then on top of that, oh, sorry, just one more thing. On top of that, we actually see that nationally in the US, um, nonprofit leadership is incredibly um, 
undiverse. Um, so a recent study showed that just 20% of nonprofit director level roles were filled by people of color. Um, and that's shocking. Uh, it's, I don't have the, what the, that statistic is for for-profit companies um, off the top of my head, but 20% is shockingly low, um, especially when we think about who uh, are often working in other roles at nonprofit profits, um, people who are volunteering with nonprofits, people who are donating, um, and the people who are being served often by nonprofits. So is, they are diverse communities. And so the people who work at nonprofits and who lead nonprofits should also be diverse communities um, or from diverse communities. Mike, I think I cut you off there. Well, yeah, but you were actually, you, you led right into what I was going to say as, as far as I also feel like, and I didn't have a statistics like you had statistics, there's more men leading nonprofits and more women working in the nonprofit space. It's almost like education, right? Like mm -hmm. more women teachers, but more male principals, yep. more male superintendents. I feel like that is also similar in the nonprofit space. Yep. Yep, that's a great one. And when you look at, so for instance, I work in fundraising. Uh, fundraising is over an overwhelmingly white field. Um, so the vast majority of people who work in fundraising roles for nonprofits in the US are white women. Um, and so then when we think about who they're getting money, for, who they're asking money from, whether those are individuals or institutions, um, who's giving them money um, and how they are you know, portraying the, the industry, the, the, the various different types of organizations that were in, are in the nonprofit sector, it's a huge, huge challenge. And so I have seen over the last year with the Black Lives Matter movement really gaining speed in the last year and everything that we've seen. I have seen more nonprofits, more philanthropy uh, institutions coming out with you know, claims that they're going to start really caring much more about equity, diversity, and inclusion um, and how they're putting, putting their money where, where their beliefs are. I think we're still too early to see at this point if that's actually gonna make a difference this time around. This is not the first time that they've said this. So. Um, but it's another interesting part of the interesting and, and very problematic part of the, the nonprofit sector as a, as a whole. Well, I, I just, when you said you didn't have any stats, I just quickly Googled something and nonprofit is doing much better than corporate America. Uh, I'll just give, okay, you, well, I'll just okay. give you a few, I'll just give you a few stats. This is based on CNN business, an article from June 2nd of 2020. So it's you know, six months old. And this is specifically um, for Blacks. That's what came up. Black professionals overall, Black professionals in 2018 held just 3.3% of all executive or senior leadership roles. 3.3%. Black CEOs, among Fortune 500 companies, less than 1% of CEOs are Black. Now, I need to, this is the first thing that came up. Black executives in C-suite and other high power roles. Um, I'm trying to see where's the percentage for that. Okay, but among Fortune 100 companies this year, Black I'm repeating what I just said. Okay, uh, while Black so professionals account for a comparatively high percentage of Chief Human Research Officers, that's 13%, and Chief Administration Executives, that's 43%. The odds of being promoted from a C to a CEO is low. So the 20% actually, that's again, that's just blacks. If I broaden it to, um, if I broaden, make it a broader diverse, diversity pool, maybe it would double, but even if it doubled, it's still significantly less than 20%. So th that's, I think that's a, I mean, those are astounding and really shameful statistics. I would also say for this 20% at that director level role, I don't know that that's senior director. I think in a nonprofit that could be the equivalent of like a manager level, um, oftentimes in a for-profit. So I would want to like dig into that a little bit more. If we look at like just like the executive director or CEO level of nonprofit organizations, I think that that step, that percentage would go significantly down. Or certainly would follow, I think, as Micah said, like a gender divide much, much more heavily. A lot of work to be done, all so, to um, say. <laughs> yeah, and, and since you are in development, um, and, and you probably are going to touch on this or we're going to touch on this, but the main driver in nonprofits is development, right? Is fundraising. 
fundraising to a nonprofit is like sales to a corporation. And it, it to me, sometimes it can be um, such a high driver that the, an organization can, get, can be blinded by other things that can help grow their business. Um, and we talked about uh, marketing as one of those roles or one of those or, or groups or teams that could really help broaden um, either your constituency or broaden potential donors, uh, your donor base, but the organization's so focused on raising money that they lose sight of all the other ways that they can grow. Um, that to me is what I've seen in nonprofits um, and those that get, understand the importance of broader partnerships that aren't just necessarily about, you know, actual cash uh, can tend to do better than those that are just so myopic about the fundraising piece of it. I think that's a great point. And yeah, I think, I mean, for sure, I think a lot of organizations get far too focused on fundraising. I think the challenge comes when, I think there's a lot more opportunity to use things like marketing to, to grow an audience or to grow the constituency when there's something else that you're also offering. Um, so for example, if you're, you're, you're an organization that has uh, revenue that's driven from program fees. So if people are paying programs to, or paying fees to participate in programs, great, like you should drive marketing to increase the number of people that are participating in those programs, right? Um, if you are a membership organization, you wanna invest in marketing to drive membership, which increases revenue that you're not then fundraising for. I think so many nonprofits though, don't have those other sources of revenue to point people towards. And so if you're not fundraising, you don't have any funding <laughs> to drive your programs, right? And so, so I think it you get, and so that's part of the, the challenge, I think, that I see from working in non nonprofits is that you are so, uh, philanthropy can be either really constraining or it can remove barriers, right? So it can either put them in place or it can help you like take on new challenges, expand programming, do all of that. But so much of the philanthropy space is driven by large institutional funders. And so if we think of like the big foundations, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Ford Foundation, Rockefeller, like these big, huge foundations that control vast amounts of wealth. Um, by law, they're only required to give away 5% of their wealth every year to maintain that, uh, to maintain that status as, as a nonprofit foundation, um, or a charitable foundation. Um, there was a push during COVID to, which was led by Ford and, and a number of other, uh, philanthropy, uh, institutions to double that amount. So they would have to give away 10%, 10% is still tiny. And so you have all these nonprofits that to the point where some should be working together and you know going after this funding together, but you have nonprofits that are competing for a very small amount of funding. And so, um, and a philanthropy system that is not necessarily, uh, does not have its own self-interest to actually give away more of that philanthropy, they just sit on it. Um, so there are all these, so I think fundraising and development is actually a very, is a super, challenging part of the nonprofit sector in general, because absolutely, if you have another service or a program um, that you can offer to raise revenue, um, then absolutely, you should be focusing on on that. Like that's a great, um, it's a great stream of stream of revenue that you can look at. If you don't, if you're entirely donation driven, you there's not too much other things you can do besides raise money, um, because you need to be able to uh, you're, you're a homeless shelter. You need to be able to provide resources, beds, food, clothing, hot showers, counseling, all of these services to people who are experiencing homelessness. You're not, you're not asking for those people who are experiencing homelessness to pay <laughs> to come to your homeless shelter. Um, that's the whole point of it. Um, and so the only way that you can do that is really by raising money. And so I think there are a lot of creative things that are starting to happen of different, to your point, different partnerships, different ways of, of, you know, partnering, whether with its municipal governments or state level governments or corporate entities or coalitions of nonprofits and different things that are, that are being done. But I think fundraising is like the big, just to get off my soapbox here in a second, but like <laughs> fundraising is like the big 
challenge. Like that's the that's the hard part of of nonprofits and what can hold them back. I think in a lot of a lot of cases. It's so interesting to me. This is kind of just a wild thought, but you know, talking about nonprofit versus for profit, um, it's such a strange dichotomy I feel like that we have just because you know you have to you have to have money to run something in society but there's sort of this idea that if you're a nonprofit you can't be soliciting money other and and you you there's all these rules um, and regulations surrounding how you can receive funding and that's why so much time and thought is put into fundraising because it's like you have to navigate this space between well we're not making money and we have to be clear about what we're using money for and we're using money for the mission but we still have to bring in money and then it, you kind of look at for-profit as like for-profit is all about making money and I just I, I want there to be more of an intersection between the two of using like it would just seem to be so much more stable um, if a, a nonprofit like organization with a mission were able to both make money and funnel that money into a good mission. And I know that there, there are organizations at the intersection of that. And I, I'll bring it over to you, Molly, because I know you I was, work in that intersection. A lot. I was going to say you are in luck. So one of the big misperceptions <laughs> that I hear frequently is like, oh, if I want to, and I, I will say I have have to frequently remind myself this is no longer the case, but if you want to have a mission-driven job, you have to work for a nonprofit. And that's a big misperception now. And I think it's a really exciting time and space that we're in that more and more companies are seeing that they cannot just be about the bottom line. Um, and so there was a, we could have a whole episode on diving into kind of when this changed for corporations. It was about 50 years ago um, and how it's changing now. Um, and so, but the good news is there are like, there are different certification programs. There are B corporations, which are companies that, um, you know, meet the highest standards for environmental and social performance, um, legal accountability and transparency. There are also, you could look at um, products and companies that do fair trade certification. Um, there are a lot of different companies out there that are social enterprises or driven by so social entrepreneurs or that are just businesses that are kind of on paper um, traditional for-profit companies, but they put their profits to good. Um, and so there are more and more of these types of, of companies that are really in that middle space. Um, and I'd say it's, it's growing um, by a lot. I every year that's what we're moving towards in society you know that actually gives me a lot of hope which is is nice to talk about i feel like yes. especially these days especially on you know the day we're talking about stuff because i think that 2021 started off so weird um in so many ways and 2020 ended so badly <laughs> and i just it's nice to think about at least that that in general we're a world that's moving towards the intersection between nonprofit and for-profit so that is cool yeah. and i think and i think we are i think you still have to do like the, the digging right to see if yeah. like if this company that says that it has a mission are they actually delivering on that are they actually doing that or is it something you know we talked about this in the summer with our episode on factor fiction, was it real change in corporate America to embrace right. Black Lives Matter? I think it's the same kind of thing. Like you have to do the digging to see if this is just a statement put on a website um, right. or a mission put on a website that then actually isn't going anywhere. Um, but yeah, but I am super hopeful that we are in this space of, of growth. I'm gonna play the devil's advocate for a minute because um, I the good news is that I do believe that companies uh, corporate America has become more purpose focused, right? And the big driver of that is the, I think millennials, Gen Z, you know, these, these, these demographics that want to know more about an organization that let other things besides the product influence their purchase decisions, right? They want to understand what the company stands for. They want to understand how committed are you. Um, so I do think that 
corporate America has had to kind of like go back and regroup, right? Because it's primarily been about sales, 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 sales. So it's kind of like, okay, now I got to figure out what I'm really about, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm really about, whether that's sincere or not, you know, let's, 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 that's, that's a different discussion. Um, but when it's all said and done, for-profit organizations are exactly that, for-profit organizations. So I don't think that there will be an intersection of the two, but I think that the serious upside will be that these for-profit organizations will become more committed to a purpose that integrates uh, beyond like with, the, with the, but also includes a component that is charitable or philanthropic in nature where you essentially are putting your money where your mouth is, right? Because when it's all said and done, your purpose could be to help clean the oceans, right? I, I'm just making this up, but I, let's say I'm a huge organization and I use a ton of plastic and I know there are millions of gallons of plastic that are just dumped in the oceans. Okay, so my purpose is to clean the oceans. That's okay. I know I'm trying to solve my purpose. Then my philanthropic efforts better align with that. And I need to be able to demonstrate that I put X amount of millions of dollars into that because that is part of my purpose as an organization. So I think that that's what we'll begin to see more of um, from organizations, which is still light years ahead of where we were like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But I don't think that there will ever be a true intersection of the two, at least not in the, you know, in, in, in the near future, because for-profit organizations are exactly that. They're, they will always be in the, you know, in, in the business of making money, you know, yeah. so. But if they have a foundation, wouldn't that be considered an intersection? Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. I would say the, the yes. And I think that that's great. I definitely want to see more companies like putting money behind philanthropic causes and two organizations that are doing good work. But I think there's actually a really exciting growth in companies going beyond that. So like, it can't just be about if I'm, if my purpose is clean the ocean, right. And I'm selling a product as a for-profit company and yeah, maybe I start a foundation or I donate, you know, X percent of profits every year to nonprofit organizations. That's great. But on top of that, as a company, I should be making sure that none of my practices are putting trash into the ocean. That not only am I just giving my profits and giving philanthropy, but I'm also changing the way that I do business so that I'm not worsening the problem. Um, and so that's the part of it that I think is like, Maybe you're right. Like, I think you're right. Like not, not necessarily a true intersection, but changing the way that companies are, are doing business is hopefully, I think it's something that's increasing. <laughs> it's something that like makes me really excited, but like, so that we get to, yes, that, that company is still making money. It's a for-profit. They're all going to always going to make money. They got to sell this product, but hopefully they're making that product in a way that is environmentally sustainable that takes care of the people who are making it and selling it. Um, and then they're actually putting their, their profits back into, into that cause. And so we kind of see the whole business shift. And that's like say, the, the I, dream scenario. I <laughs> yeah. know, I know that those companies exist and that they're, they're popping up a lot more. And I know that they're getting popular for my generation as well. Like all of my Instagram ads, like are, you know, I, which is, I scroll through Instagram and then an ad pops up instead of someone's page. Right. And all of them are like, buy from this company. We like, these are sustainably made clothing. It's fair trade. We like have a blah, blah, blah. And we donate 20% of profits to like organizations that do X, Y, and Z for the planet. And it's like, so like it's, checks all the boxes and I'm just seeing more and more of them, which at least environmental ones, I, I, I think it's probably harder to, I, I haven't seen a lot of, or, well, actually, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, I know I also saw a lot of sort of shop, little shops pop up and, you know, maybe they're only selling five shirts, but they're like 80% of the profits of these shirts are going towards Black Lives Matter organizations. So, um, it's heartening to see people use profits in that way, you know? Um, and I would love to see more of it. it was... 
I, I really believe you will. I, I absolutely believe you will. I, I think that it's a trend that started and it's not going away. I think that the, you know, like we said, the, the generational dynamic is requiring it. So companies have to adapt. They, they have to, and they already are. So I do think you'll see, I absolutely think you'll see more of it. And the speed in which things are communicated too. So if a company does something that's not good, it gets out there so quickly, you know, and, and they have to, you know, figure out a way to, you know, to get that, change that PR dynamic. So I think that's another driver because they know their consumer and consumers and beyond will, will hear about that, that deed. Um, so thank goodness for social media in this instance. Yeah. Well, Dames, it's clear that we could talk about this for days and days probably, but I'll wrap us up here. Um, so the last thing that I'll just say on, on nonprofits is that I have, uh, I have personally very much enjoyed my time working with nonprofits. They are, some of the other things that you hear about them is that they can be outdated and under-resourced. Those can be very true, um, but they can also be really innovative um, and creative. You have to be creative to do things on very tight budgets. And so, um, so it's been, there's been frustrations. There's also been a lot of excitement. I've worked with some really great people. I think that's something that you do find that's true at nonprofits as a, um, perhaps as a stereotype, but I think, I do think it holds true is that there are some really great, really interesting, really dedicated people who are working at nonprofit organizations of all sizes in all parts of the country and, and the world really. Um, and so that's been a really fantastic learning experience and just fun to be around. Um, even if some of the work can be really frustrating and burnout is kind of a, a constant struggle or a constant threat, um, the people that you're surrounded by are often really, uh, really quality, really great people. So I will leave it at that. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for, for tuning in. We'll have more episodes on the, the Truth About series coming up and of course, we are, we're always welcome to questions and your thoughts on social media and by email. If you have any questions, email us at dametalk4 at gmail.com. That's dametalk and the number four at gmail. To learn more about us and these topics, check out our website at dametalkpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. This is Dame Talk. We don't know everything, but we know enough.